Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Today we are in Mishpatim, our Torah portion for today. Exodus 21, so in verse 1, it goes through chapter 24, uh, verse 18. As you will note in most of the stuff, you'll see a lot of, uh, obviously, instructions as far as how to conduct yourselves and things you can and cannot do or should or should not do, and different instances, which we'll discuss a few of them, and the overall subject matter is what's being talked about. Before I go into my spiel or commentary on this topic, any questions or comments that you may have regarding this issue or regarding uh, the, the topics which you have have heard so far yes larry your hands up yeah i don't see what the problem is that just all sounded like the same laws that we abide by in our society until it got to the farming stuff but that's just because we're not farmers that's you're actually your, your, your assessment is correct the vast majority of these laws are actually the same ones we we obey today obviously we had different rules regarding uh, slavery but we'll discuss those shortly um so you will note which we're discussing a little bit about this these laws are somewhat categorized. Uh, you will note that the vast majority of these laws cover a certain subject matter within the Ten Commandments. For example, it discusses the different forms and types and conditions which murder takes place, which when it's taken with, thou shalt not murder. And it also separates what is and what is not murder. There are some instances which you kill a man which is not murder, and there are, which we'll discuss that uh, a little bit about them as well. It also discusses certain about laws regarding lying. Uh, false witnessing and such, which is when the fault is so there shall be a false witness. There's the detail of the different forms that takes place and how false witnesses take place. So when we think of Christianity and Christian teachings, they say about, well, you can obey 10, or some argue 9, of the Ten Commandments, uh, that reality is it is far more than just the Ten Commandments because in our Torah, the rest of the Torah expounds and explains what it means to obey each of those commandments. So what does it mean to obey Shabbat? What does that, what does that incorporate? What does it mean to obey thou shalt not murder? Well, these are all different forms of murder as well as forms which you are righteously supposed to kill a person because they've done something that is worthy of death. Well, and, and when you do that, those instances, those individuals, it's not actually murder then. You didn't kill that person for murder. You killed it because they were supposed to be killed for what they've done. Uh, so there are certain instances which you discussed that... And, and, that we'll discuss a little bit more detail about this as we go through it, that you will know most of these laws, societies and people naturally obey anyway. And it has changed. Uh, and we obey this because it is the right thing to do. It's how we love one another. It's how we obey these instructions. The instances that Moses gives, of course, there's explanations or examples of different forms of what we or what is permissible, what is acceptable, what's not acceptable. That's very helpful to know, but that's what he's doing. Uh, so that's you're absolutely right. It's a correct observation. Any comments or questions regarding our Torah portion and what's being uh, discussed today, and from in, in, the, in these laws or instructions? Uh, yes, Rose, unmute yourself, dear, so we can hear you. Well, Daniel, right. uh, when it's talked about lying, what about uh, what about those little white lies? So uh, you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, right? <laughs> okay, so let's we'll. we'll Jump over to the lying section that covers with. Uh, let's see here. I have to get to my 
the laws covering lying. We have different forms of lying, which includes obviously theft of persons. But the lying section, folks, let's go to chapter 23 and discuss the examples of false witness that God is talking about. I'm not advocating lying. I'm just saying these examples which God is talking about false witnesses. So, the form of false witnessing, as far as what you, you are to do or not to do, uh, chapter 23 discusses this topic. So, that should not be false witness. That's the subject matter of the, one of the commandments. It says, for example, here are examples of false witnesses. Do not accept a false report. Don't extend your hand with the wicked to, to, to be a venal witness, which means to, to, to lie about something. So, number one, don't accept a false report. So, if someone's lying about somebody else, don't accept it. Means don't, don't tolerate it. Don't listen to it. Verse two, do not be a follower of the majority to do evil. And do not respond to agreements by yielding the majority to pervert the law. So, you have, obviously, there are instructions. So you cannot say, well, because everybody else wants to do this, or thinks this is acceptable, therefore it is now acceptable. That is wrong. The laws, what, what, what is, your, is your filter? The law says, okay, wait, what is God's instructions? What can you do, what you can you not do? And just because the majority, even if you're the only one that says no, it does, against the, the 7 billion people, makes a difference. You will not pervert, convert the law in order to follow the majority. So again, that's a form of lying. In the form of you, because what, what you, you, will, you will false witness yourself, you were deceiving in, in the fact that you were joining the majority. He also examines examples at verse 3. Don't glorify a destitute person as grievance. So just because somebody is poor or weak or have a difficulty struggling in their lives, whether it's from personal conduct, like, hey, I screwed my life up and this is how it is, great. That you don't show them partiality. Okay, well, because there's so difficulty, yeah, the other person is very wealthy, so they can afford to lose a couple million bucks that wouldn't care. Well, we'll just rule against them doesn't work that way. The absolute law is absolute law. There are instructions here. So we cannot, in the form of lying, we cannot accept the, 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 the show, show um, favoritism toward one party versus the other. The whole lot, the idea of like justice or being blind. It's just based on facts alone. Now, in the case of also in the form of lying, in verse 4, it's also grouped in the category of lying, which may sound interesting or strange to us, but let's read a little bit. It says, if you encounter an ox of your enemy or his donkey wandering, you should return it to him repeatedly. That's an interesting section why it's classified or grouped into the lying category for deception. Is that because this person you are against them, they are your enemy, does not give you permission to work against them. Does not give you an excuse to say, well, because they're my enemy, therefore I will mistreat them or their possessions. I will not assist. If you replace the word enemy with your friend, if you encounter your ox of your friend or his donkey watering, you should return to him previously. You obviously do that to your friend because he's your friend. Well, just because he's your friend versus your enemy makes no difference. Your reaction must be the same and clean. You will treat people justly and consistently because, mind you, you are a representative of God on earth. If you disregard what is consistent, what is right, regardless of whether your enemy or your friend, then you are showing God is partial and God is arbitrary. You don't want to muddy his name because he does not hold you innocent by muddying his name. And you also, also verse 5, if you see your donkey of someone you hate crouching under its burden, would you refrain from helping him? No, you should help him repeatedly, even with him. So even though your enemy is there and he has overburdened this animal, is your responsibility, even though he's your enemy, just like you would be if he was your friend, to go help him and assist 
it's not an easy task, but it must be done. You have to set aside your personal desires, your personal feelings, say what is absolutely right, what is absolutely wrong, and follow consistent instructions. If you don't follow consistency, you are now a liar, or you are a deceiver. You are purposely manipulating the reputation of God in doing so. Uh, verse 6, it says regarding lying or false reports, do not pervert the judgment of your destitute person or his grievance. So you, just so you have an instruction, you know what's right and wrong, you know what the instructions are supposed to be, you cannot tweak it or alter it in order to justify either for or against a person who either deserves help or does not deserve help. That is, again, immaterial. You have to focus on what is the absolute instructions to be consistent. Because, again, put yourself in their shoes. How would you want them to treat you if you were in their situation? Treat them fairly. Not favoritism, not, yeah, you may want things to work out in your, well, in your way, of course, we all want that, but you can't, par- impart, you can't put partiality upon anybody. It's unfair or unjust because, again, we are representatives of God here on earth, so we have to act like God would act. Does God love one child more than another child? No. Does he, does he bless one child more than another? Yes. But he doesn't love one more than the other, so show someone the same love you would want God to show you. With regarding lying, these are all grouped into lying. Verse 7, for a liar, or this is yourself for false words, and do not execute the innocent or the righteous, for I shall not exonerate the wicked. So now that we have what is right, what is wrong, don't, it, something that is false, declare, hey, guys, this is wrong. This is false. Don't keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut as being complicit with the majority. Now, I mean, are you, hey, I didn't join the majority. I didn't say, yeah, I didn't you know, say, let's, let's do the bad thing, but I kept my mouth shut instead. That's just as wrong. We don't get to keep our mouth shut either. When you see something wrong, you have to declare it. This is wrong. People may not listen to you. The world may ignore you. It doesn't matter. You have to declare it. This is still wrong because if they don't hear it from you, who are they going to hear it from? You're supposed to be representative of God on earth. Who are they going to hear it from if they, if they won't hear it from you? Well, nobody. So it's your job to do it as as uh, Mordecai went to Esther, hey, who knows? You were put here for this reason. This could be the time. So open your mouth and say something, even if it falls on deaf ears. So again, regarding uh, falseness or, or, or false reports, in verse 8, it also says, do not accept a bribe. The bribe will blind those who see incorrupt words that are just. So again, under false testimony or do not lie, Accepting bribes is also a form of lying. It's a form of false report. Again, it is not acceptable because it will twist and distort what is right. No matter how perfect you are, no matter how great of a person you may be, if you accept a bribe, it's going to tweak you. It's going to modify you. It's going to soften your heart more lenient toward whoever gave you the bribe. We call this people politicians. They're very good at what they do. They receive bribes all the time. They bear different forms. And we don't like them for a reason because we don't trust them. Why do we not trust them? Because that's what they do. They're not trustworthy people in general. I'm not saying all politicians are evil. It's the, the category of. And that they're known or typical for, for, for bribery or, or, or making or, accept, or accepting those which is, which is not right. And, and as a result, we don't trust them. We don't trust them because they corrupt them. So we have all these groupings, and we also verse time, which is included in the mistreatment or, or, or lying. Don't oppress your stranger. You know, the things of a stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt once. We say that's odd to group that into the lying category, but it is. Because again, you're representative of God. Is God going to sit there and oppress one person 
because they are strange to him? No. Does God love each child? Yes. So why would he say, well, I don't love you. I didn't love that person. Well, this is, this is God's decision, not yours. So we don't get to oppress a stranger because, again, that is a distortion of the representation of God on earth. So we go through these lists. There's obviously, you record again in Deuteronomy, lots more is, is, is expanded upon. Regarding your question, Rose, in regard to lying and, 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 and sexual specific matters, you will note that all these categories have to do with perversion of what is right and perversion of what is wrong and false reports and distorting what is fair and just in, in, in people. So if you're going to uh, discuss the subject matter of, of, of lying, and that should not bear a false witness, you will know the category apparently focuses upon judgments and law in, in the form of, of, how, of how things are treated and how you treat other people, as well as how you, uh, how you are kind or not kind to those who you may be friends with or enemies with. Treat them equally the same. That's the subject matter God's focusing upon. That's the topic where it says, thou shalt not bear a false witness. This is the type of things he's talking about. The false witness report in the Ten Commandments, that shall not bear a false witness, is a death penalty case. So if you distort God's example on earth and distort what he says is right or wrong and distort what is just and what is kind, exit false reports, and you join the majority instead of, instead of going resisting, and you join and go against the laws of God instead of going with them, he kills you, not saying he's going to kill you in this lifetime or even right now. But the point is you will get punished or corrected at some point in time in his timing, whatever it may be, because he does not like or does not tolerate distortion of himself and people who claim to follow him. Does that make sense as far as the category of lying and the category of deceit that God is discussing? Uh, if you, will, you, you will note that in the case of, uh, uh, of, of there's a few examples you, you cited as far as you know, the, the lie to avoid hurting someone's feelings. Okay, first of all, that category of lies is not the discussion topic here within the Torah. I'm not saying you lies to avoid hurting someone's feelings because honestly, tell the truth usually works better. It always has in my case, um, even in spite of the feelings. So the point is that the subject matter here he discusses is, is a far broader and more harsh form of lying. It's designed for false witnesses to distort justice or distort somebody who is, uh, who is innocent to make them uh, become guilty or treat them as if they're guilty and that's not. That's a type of lying God is focusing upon. So those are death penalty lies. Does that make sense as far as what you, what your question was? Your question about you know, uh, yeah, yeah, pretty good. And I yeah. have one more question. Go ahead. Uh, in verse in verse seventeen of twenty one, he that curses his father and mother shall surely be put to death. Yes. Uh, what what constitutes the curse? Okay, so when you're referring to the curses, is that the only place which curses refer to here? This verse here, as well as in uh, where's this other location, which is also cursing. Um, a cursing is invoking the name of God to curse someone. May the name of God, we use his name, curse this individual for whatever I think they should be cursed for. Um, that's the type of cursing that, because that, that, you're using God's name to curse someone. As opposed to saying, well, I don't like you, as we, I won't repeat it because my children are in the room, other than go to the, the, the double hockey sticks place. <laughs> those type of things where people, people, people used to use. Uh, that's a long time ago. Uh, anyway, the, the, the curse the form of, of may, may God destroy this individual either in their efforts or their personal life or their children or whatever the case. Those are curses. So, for example, I will use this as a citation. I'm not saying this is good. I'll use this as a bad as an example to point out the problems that sometimes happen with people because we are human. Um, every once in a while, you run across a leader of our nation. You may say, hey, that person's a rotten individual. 
and that may or may not be, it's not your decision, God put them there, but they make her pass some law that said that's wrong, that's unfair, that's unjust, and you come to, may, may it come back upon you, may God make you live through this that you're putting all of us through. Um, it, that is a type of curse. And so you are using, may God punish you or correct you in that form. It is not our place to do so. And I'll be honest with you, many people, including myself, have been frustrated with leadership. Not just personal leadership as far as in my own, in my own personal life, but also leadership as far as our nation or cities or, or whatever, doing things that I think are completely dishonest and distorted or wrong. That doesn't give me the right to may curse them. So the more curse your father and mother, it includes do not speak evil or curse of your leaders, which is recorded in verse... Uh, it's also your two. I forgot which chapter it is. It's verse... I think it is. Anyway, this is about, about leadership. Don't, don't you curse your leaders either. The same principle. And that you do not curse those and you don't use God's name to curse someone. That is not a proper thing. Now, you may argue that this person is being unfair. May God repay him. And that may be. And you can argue that as a curse. Most, most companies do not group that into cursing. You are arguing that God may repay him. And God may repay the individual with good. Maybe your viewpoint or your theory, your thought this person was bad is actually incorrect. Maybe the person may do something because it was more right than you thought. So when you leave it up to God, God is wise. If you will note, the book of Jude discussed this topic explicitly. This states that when the devil wanted to bose his body and Michael the archangel was afraid to curse him, was afraid to speak against him. Now we're talking about the devil, the Hasatan, the, the evil one, the father of all lies was afraid to curse him. He said, may God rebuke you. May God correct you if it is God's will. So even him, the Michael the Archangel, as Jude records it, and of course, it's one of the apocryphal books. Um, I forgot which one it's recorded in. Anyhow, uh, Jude, Jude is referencing it, and he points out that even if the Michael the Archangel knew better than to curse the evil father of all lives, and he wouldn't do that, yet how are we to curse men? Uh, we are not as clean and righteous in our lives as Michael the Archangel was, and men are not as evil and corrupt as the Hasatan or the evil one or the devil supposedly is. I don't know the details. I haven't met the guy. Anyway, the point is that we are, we, humans are not as bad as he is, and humans are not as good as Michael was, but yet Michael was wise enough to say, I am not going to curse the father of all lies. Let God rebuke you in in his fashion, whatever he may choose to do or not do. So we have to understand that the nature we're using cursing, we're using God's name to curse somebody, that's what we're talking about. You're asking or requesting God to fulfill a great punishment upon this individual because of your feelings and your experiences. Much like you or I may not understand a leader's actions and may think they're wrong, a child may not understand a parent's actions or think that they're wrong. It doesn't mean the child's right. It does not mean that we are right. Does that make sense? So because of cursing, it's important that we understand that cursing, God's referring to trying to claim or use God's name or God's identity as a curse tool to cause harm to someone. We know someone who does that or has done that. In the Bible, we call him Balaam or Balim. Uh, so he was an individual whose job was to use God's name to curse people. That was what he did for a living. So he got paid. He used God's name to curse people. And God said, that is wrong. We don't do that. We cannot use my name to curse stuff. Now, you will note Balaam's reputation prior to the book of Numbers states that whoever he curses ends up being cursed, whoever he blesses ends up being blessed. 
So God clearly was allowing him to do these things and fulfilling them to some degree. I don't know the details. It doesn't matter. But the point is that he was doing something that was wrong. He was cursing people who did not, he did not know that have a right to curse. And God, of course, corrected them before he did so and made him not curse them. But the point is his profession was to curse people. So again, using God's name is a big deal, and we are representatives of God. So if somebody says, hey, I know God's with you, you talk to him, you pray to him, in this situation, you say, well, I'll pray against that person, may God you know, curse the individual. Now, wait a minute. You have reputationless people around you as someone who is a God-fearing individual to follow God's instructions in life, and now you are wielding God as a hatchet tool to hack, cause harm to somebody else, whether it be your parent as it points child to the parent or somebody else or leadership as it points out later on in, 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 in the chapter later. And the same principle is that you are now misrepresenting and using a power that was not yours to use. You have usurped authority by cursing somebody, by using God's name to curse somebody. Does that make sense as far as how the nature of cursing, the focus of God says you do not curse because cursing is a form and the definition of cursing is to use God's name to curse somebody. You do not do such things. Does that make sense? I, I think so. Uh, I'm just, I was thinking of a grandchild that was very disrespectful and used curse words towards the mother. Right. And I just, uh, so this is a literal curse. Like if I were to uh, curse somebody, but it's not necessarily a curse word. Right. Don't try, try to categorize group curse words themselves, a four, four common four-letter I think there's one five-letter word. Four-letter words into curses, the curse words. Those are not the same groupings as this. I'm not saying you should that you then speak in, in a foul-mouthed tongue because God didn't like that either. <laughs> he had issue with that, and I believe one prophet got his mouth burned because of it. And he said, you, you don't get to speak and use words like that. Here's a hot coal, and you'll be permanently burned and scarred from this experience because you don't use words like that. But that was not a death penalty. That was just a permanent burn mark on the man's lips the rest of his life. So we have the example. God doesn't like the, the use of foul language. That is not a tolerable to him. However, cursing here regarding the Torah's concerned and regarding the subject the, the, the Exodus is for actual little curses as far as may God condemn this individual or may God do this to someone-so cause harm to somebody. That is the type of cursing we're talking, we're talking about when it says cursing. Does that okay, make sense I, now? I I think I finally understand that that now. I, I always uh, took it literal that it meant uh, dirty words, like right. if I, you know, speak dirty words to somebody. Uh, right, you right, know. Right, right. That's not uh, positive behavior. That, <laughs> yeah, but, so but that's, that's not the actually, type he's talking about here. That's actually putting a curse on somebody. Yes, putting a curse on okay, somebody. Okay, very good. All right, I got that. And that actually groups a little bit into the sorceress section, which is only the sorceress to live. Because cursing, as I mentioned before, it's like using God's tool hat, as a hatch, his name is a hatch upon somebody to cause harm. You are using or usurping some authority you don't actually have authority to use. Well, a sorceress, which has sorceress shall be, shall be killed, is the same thing. A sorceress is not accepting that God has mastery over his creation, but rather the sorceress or sorcerer is using other spiritual beings to manipulate God's creation. So you are then distorting the viewpoint that sort of understand that God owns his creation. You don't get to usurp authority like a sorceress or a sorcerer does, nor do you usurp his name like a cursor does who curses people. So these are both the same type of category. They both are executed for it is unacceptable behavior. 
Does that make sense? Hopefully it does. Yeah. Good. So, uh, so I should not uh, be be doing uh, astrology. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, that the, the the sorceress and sorcerer uh, is grouped in more specifically than just astrology per se, but it, it groups in the category of trying to manipulate creation to come out with different outcomes or or controlled outcomes. Um, oh no. No. As far as you, we have, we have the category two groups. It grouped the sorceresses or sorcerers are also spiritual necromancers and other other, other types of pagan uh, and and spiritual manipulation. Uh, those are all to be killed, and we'll discuss that in a minute. We get there because there's a particular phrase used in that one at the sorceress one uh, that is not like the others about the whole the death section. Mostly says you you kill for various things, but the sorceress it says you're not permitted sorceress to live. Well, that phrase, not permitted to live, means your job is to root them out, which is you go out and purposefully seek them to find them and remove them. That's the topic of, that's the type of death execution for the sorceress. You shall not live. Uh, is sorceress right? Now, right. Now, in, in, you're correct. So he asks, is, is, is that like murdering them? It's a premeditated murder type of thing. And that's actually the topic because that falls on the category. The sorceress one, I believe, is under the killing and murder section. Uh, where is it? Miscarriage, beasts, strike, cursing. Uh, which verse it was off the top of my head? Oh, there it is. Source. Not where to live. So, in the category of murder, which this this, this discusses the one of the, one of the, the commandments that shall not murder, the sorceress falls on the section of uh, the, the 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 murdering section about these types of things. You are not classified as a murderer. Somebody who you sought out a sorceress to execute as far as God's concerned, that is not, you are not the murderer. You are killing somebody who is righteous to be killed. It also includes someone who is perversion, uh, as far as the, the, the sleeping with other animals and such. You, either you must kill them, and you may kill them, and the, you've pre-thought out and planned it accordingly. It's called the execution, and it's not actually grouped into murder. So you won't get punished for execution. Sorry, let me clarify myself. Where this is in modern day law, which is the Torah is concerned, you will get punished for that today in modern day America. The point is, and the Torah is concerned, uh, is he, God does not group that as the murder category because it's pretty, it's, you are supposed to kill them. He also groups the person worshiping of the gods. So if you went to kill somebody worshiping the gods because of worshiping the gods, it is not, you are not uh, punished for murdering them because it groups the, in, in the category of killing. So the different groupings, he's, he's trying to explain. Most would explain to us the different types and groups of murder versus killing. They're not the same thing. There are certain things fall into murder, and certain deaths that are justified. You must fall into killing, which is not actually murder. Therefore, your life is like a taken for killing the individuals who are supposed to be killed. Yes, what's your question? Okay, so he says, theoretically speaking, let's say I didn't like somebody, and I purposely go out and kill them as a premeditated murder. But then after I kill them, I find out they're worshiping idols. So does that categorize as murder? So that's an interesting question. So in which I'm not saying I don't I don't have the perfect answer, but yes, it's 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 a, it's a good question. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting idea. So in your world, Isaac, when you would ask the question, your intent was murder. That was your intent. So according to the law, they investigate you. You in fact ambushed and murdered a person. Because you were unaware of their behaviors of their lifestyle. So in the category of you being unaware, 
we, we had to find out what the investigators would find out, but I'm not, I'm not a, a court judge. But if I was a court judge at the time, say, in your eyes, you were a murderer, and that was your intent and your planning. Therefore, it is murder. You murdered somebody. Now, in the court's eyes, the person may have found out he was also or she was also some pagan worshiper or sorceress or whatever else, independent of the reason you happened to have killed them. That's the court to decide the person's death, and you may, you may, a king or a judge have to give you or have to make a decision whether to execute you for murder or grant you leniency because investigators found out some other reasons to it. But I am not in the place of a judge to do that, and God placed kings, it is their job to do that precise situation. You have two difficult situations, both require different outcomes, and a king or a judge make a decision. Which one is more right versus the other? And they'd have to investigate you, the people around you, who knew what was going on, your heart and your intent as best they can figure out, witnesses and investigate. Okay, between these two orders, both of them are conflicting the judge to decide which one to do. That's why we bring them to a court of law. That's the whole reason why Moses and God set up a court of law. You will bring it to courts. You will investigate. You will find out what is the actual facts. Where are the witnesses? And now we'll make a judgment call of what is right and what is wrong. Does that make sense? So, okay, don't, let, let, I don't want to get too many, too many extraneous details. Um, if you have strange questions, we can discuss it maybe, maybe afterwards. He has some more unique uh, uh, hypotheticals. Uh, let's move forward, though. Um, so I'm jumping right into this stuff. So it's, it's, it's interesting. <clears throat> so let's go back to our slave section. 221. How many of you have a slave? I got like 50, right? <laughs> yeah, we don't have slaves anymore, right? Slaves are long since gone out of our culture. Now I say, yeah, he's got, yeah, 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 he's got slaves. He's got the three on, yeah, Joe's got three. They're, they're all children. <laughs> I have five actually, but they don't obey me. <laughs> That's a different problem. <laughs> so, <laughs> slaves, um, as you will note, Slaves are brought up a few times in our Torah, not just here in Exodus, but also you know, because discuss a few de details about slaves. Um, so we we'll discussed a little bit. So first of all, you obviously are all aware in America, slavery is illegal. Now I I refer to slavery as this form. We can you know metaphorically and simply use similes and, and symbolic slavery and other form of debt and everything other you can argue this type of slavery. We're not discussing that topic of slavery. The same here is discuss the Torah portion of slavery. Now, it is in our culture in America and most European cultures, a few others about the, most of the, throughout the world, slavery is banned, but it's not banned to the whole globe. You know, there are some countries slavery is still active, including the whole, you know, whipping people and all kinds of type of slavery. That still occurs in some areas of the, of the world, and it is condoned and done at the, at the knowledge and permission of the government that does so. So slavery is not actually gone, gone in the form of it doesn't exist. Um, however, it is gone for our own nation, our own nations, and various European nations as well, and various uh, uh, other nations of the world have banned slavery in the form of you know, you know having a slave and you beat them or you make you, you make them work and all kind of stuff. Um, we don't do that anymore. However, some nations it is still actively done, and it, it wasn't like it it can't be reinstated in certain people. So we we know that that it's always a possibility. So in this nature of slavery, if for some reason, I'm not saying you will, but if for some reason you find yourself in a nation where slavery happens to be acceptable and is done, you have a required conduct in your, uh, how you conduct yourself. Now, this is twofold. 
Now, the first section of conduct is a simple one, which is actually uh, below you. But the simple conduct is you cannot mistreat the slave, whether you are in, if you live yourself in a country of this nature, I'm not saying you should, and for some bizarre reason you owned a slave, you must follow these instructions without diminishing. So you can't say, well, oh, well, I'll keep a slave for as long as I want. No, you don't get to do that. There are rules about slaves, male slaves and female slaves. If you're going to live in a country and you own one, and there are still countries down here that, in the world that do own slaves, people do, citizens do own slaves. If you do own one, there are rules about how this is done and how God permits and does not permit slavery. Now, obviously, we have the Jewish bondsmen, as far as the Israel bondsmen, the male as well as the female. We have a little bit about these before we go into the extra information that uh, uh, Jeremiah explains to us as far as how slavery was banned. But we'll discuss that in a minute. So first of all, there are two groups of slavery. There's a male slavery and there's a female slavery. These are not treated the same. There's also the other category, which is the, the non-Israelite slaves over here. So there's the Israelite slavery, male, female, and then there's the, the foreign slavery of all the other kinds over here, the other, the, the other hand, so to speak. This section specifically talks mostly about the Israelite slavery, so the form of a male or a female slave that is also an Israelite, not just some random person that, that from some other nation you got, you captured during a battle or a war of some form. So in this category, male slaves, now, mind you, I'm very careful about this, um, the interpretation, rabbinical interpretation of this section is pretty clear. They're focused on this very, very strongly. So you may disagree, but that's your personal agreement. I won't say that they're wrong. In this case, they point out that the subject matter here in Exodus 21, discussing slavery, is distinctly different from that in a few sections of Deuteronomy discussing slavery, because there are two ways in which a man, an Israelite man, becomes a slave. Sorry, there are actually three, but there are two common ways to become a slave. The third way is to war. We're discussing wars. Uh, slavery, the two ways in which, which a, an Israelite man would become a slavery is, number one, he is a thief. So he was caught. He was caught, he stole a bunch of things, money, whatever it was. He could not repay them. And as a result, he was sold to pay for his thefts. All right? Now, you may be the person he stole from. Therefore, he, you may be the one who winds up owning him for a period of time, up to seven years. But that's the case in which he's a thief. And during his punishment, he could not repay the twofold or fivefold, depending on what, what the animal he stole or whatever he happened to take. He didn't have anything to repay it with. Therefore, he must work it off in the form of a seven-year span of, of, of work. And that is the one common form of slavery, and that's a topic that is discussed dominantly here in Exodus. So he is a thief that has been, that has been captured because he was caught stealing. Therefore, with slavery is in somebody who happens to be poor chooses to sell themselves to survive. They are not grouped in this section of slavery. Most of those categories are in the book of Deuteronomy later on. Discussing those who are, happen to be poor, and they have sold themselves because they have, they're destitute, they have no money. Not that they are a, a, a thief and caught, but rather they just have no money, they can't survive. So there are two different groupings. This discusses the type of one that is a th that's the theft style. So the individual is working off his thieving. Then he can work off up to seven years. He doesn't get to, you can't make him work off more. So the Bernie Madoff to the world that stole millions and billions of dollars, he only gets to work it off for up to seven years, and then he's free. They're, oh, what's up, Barry? He stole so much money. Who cares? God said there's a limit. Seven years, that's the limit. 
Well, uh, but in America, we throw them in prison for decades, or not lifetimes. Well, that's true. Doesn't mean we're right. Doesn't mean we do. Uh, God points out if your thief is caught, you don't get to throw them in prison for forever. You get up to seven years, and then he could, he or she, well, it's not she, only he does. He gets to choose whether he wants to keep serving. And so that Madoff may actually choose to, because he might have a hitman on the outside, might kill him off. But the point is, uh, it's the murder issue. But uh, you, you may choose to serve longer, is your decision, but. You, uh, you, you cannot receive a punishment greater than seven years span for thieving. Now, you'll note that in the case of females, she, this is what we're going to use like females, she can be sold by her father or her, or her, or her, her guardian who was in charge of her while she is a, uh, below or less than puberty age. She can be sold as, not as a slave, as a servant, but a slave as a potential future wife. So the person who's buying them, the master is the intent of buying the female Israelite slave is that you are buying her to finish raising her and you will marry her as she will be your wife or your son's wife. So that is, what, that is a category of slavery. You don't get to sell her as a worker while she is being, meaning, sorry, you. You, the father, do not get to sell her as a worker. She can sell herself as well, but you get to sell her as a worker. She is sold for the purpose of, a, of wifing, or maybe you have a wife with somebody. If for some reason the master who purchased her as a wife for himself or as a wife for, uh, for, his, for, his, for his son chooses not to marry her, she's free. She doesn't pay for her freedom. She doesn't pay him back. She, he's like, yeah, well, I really don't like this person. She's intolerable to live with. She nags too much. Whatever the case may be, I don't want to marry her. And she's free. Bye-bye. Go away. Go live your life. Do whatever you want to do. He has not been able to know her sexually at all because she has not been of age to do so. He can't do it until he, mar until he marries her. He shows not to marry her. And he, then, then she's free. If, safe, if his son doesn't want her, does not want to marry her, she's free. So the deal of an Israelite being sold, female being sold, is for marriage purposes. That is the functionality of it. Now, she may choose to sell herself when she is a grown adult, and then she's working as a slave, as, as a servant, to actually work for it. That's a different, that's a different groupings. Now, now, you'll note that it points out here, if the man, the thief, who was, who, who was sold, and if he was sold and he came with a wife, the wife is his, obviously, the born master, if the master gives him a wife and she has children with, through him, then the children, the wife, belong to the master. Now we discussed this previously in different di different glasses on what what glasses on what you put on dictates by how you view it. But in this instance, you will note that she, the one who was given as a wife to a, a slave, she, the woman, she is not an Israelite servant woman. She would be an Is a servant woman from a non-Israelite tribe, yeah, some foreign nation, some foreign country was captured in war or or whatever the case may be. That's how she was acquired. So she is not an Israelite slave at all. She is a, a foreigner slave. And as we know that God, Moses gave his instructions, one man, it was one law, whether the sojourner or otherwise, she has chosen, she or, or in whatever capacity, to remain non-Israelite, which means she has chosen to retain her previous religious viewpoints, her previous culture she wishes to stick with, and therefore, she remained that way. If for some reason she said, wait a minute, I like your God and the possibility of getting free, um, I would rather convert to Israelite freedom, Israelite way of life, than following the God of Israel, then she now becomes an Israelite 
female slave, even though not biological, but spiritually. Now she's grouped in the, the Israelites, and now she has different groupings, different rules. Now it has to do with a marriage rule, and she can be uh, set free accordingly if she's not, if she's not treated properly. So she has ways of getting out of, 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 of slavery without having to pay for it. Okay, so we have the obvious example of the slave may choose to stick around. The Israelite slave may really love the, the, foreign, the foreign wife, Ethiopia or wherever, and say, hey, I love her, I want to stick around, I want to keep her as my wife, therefore he may choose to remain as a slave until the Jubilee. When it says forever, forever means in the context of slavery, you will remain a slave until Jubilee comes. When Jubilee comes, you're free anyway. It might be a year from now, might be 30 years from now. When Jubilee comes, you are free. Uh, and that's, that's how it is. That's how it's going to be. So you don't have a choice in the matter in that capacity. You're just set free. Uh, let's see. Let's go past slavery a little bit. But before we leave, the Haftor portion in, in Jeremiah 34, uh, discusses, 35, 34, discusses the specific topic of slavery. Now, I mentioned before we started out of the slavery, that slavery was banned in most nations across the globe. Now, there are exceptions. Some nations, it is not banned. But for the most part, it is banned. And let's see. We'll go to Jeremiah 34, the Haftar the, 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 uh, portion, discusses this exact topic of slavery and how it got banned. They, but, you know, America banned it only like less than 200 years ago, right? Yeah, America did, but it doesn't mean America was right. Uh, Israelites banned slavery in the form of slavery of their own people uh, thousands of years ago. So Jeremiah 34, this is the Haftor portion, we're going to run there, run, run there anyway, to discuss how, how the Torah portion of Exodus 21 and the rules of slavery of Jew or Israelite slavery was banned, and because it got banned, it's banned permanently. I mean, you can't reinstate it. It's a permanent ban. I understand how this, how this works, just so you're not sure about how the legal matter works in the Torah. If a group of people gather together, and they are the leadership of a nation or a people group, and they make a, an agreement to have a section of Torah to not practice a particular way of life the Torah, Torah governs, they're going to remove it as far as not permissible anymore then that it remains, assuming God is going to accept it. They can't like, say, well, I'm not going to practice Shabbat anymore. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> but as far as, it's not going to practice the form of, of, of slavery. Once it's banned, you made the agreement, it is then permanently banned forever. You don't get to reinstate it later on, or generations later, no, it's permanently banned. That's how covenants work. Jeremiah 34, verse 8 says, <clears throat> This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the, from the Lord, from after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people who were at Jerusalem to proclaim liberty to them, that every man should be set free his male and female slave, a Hebrew man or woman, that no one should keep an Israelite brother bondage anymore. Now when all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should set free his male and female slaves, that no one should keep them in bondage anymore, they obeyed and let them go. But afterward they changed their minds and made the male and female slaves return, whom they had set free, and brought them into subjection as male and female slaves again. Therefore the words of Jehovah came to Jeremiah to Jehovah, saying, Thus says Jehovah, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, saying, 
at the end of seven years, let every man set free his Hebrew brother who has been sold to him. And when he has served you six years, you shall let him go free from you. But your fathers did not obey me nor incline their ear to me. Then you recently turned and did what was right in my sight. Every man proclaimed liberty to his neighbor. And you made a covenant before me in the house, which is called by my name. Then you turned around and profaned my name. And every one of you brought back his male and female slaves, whom he had set free at liberty, at their pleasure, and brought them back into subjection to be your male and female slaves. Therefore, thus says Jehovah, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty, every one to his brother and every one to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim liberty to you, says Jehovah. I proclaim it to the sword and to pestilence and to famine. I will deliver you to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth. And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut in half the two and passed between the parts of the calf, the princes of Judah and the prince of Jerusalem, the, the leaders, the priests, and all the people of the land, who pass between the parts of the calf, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. Their dead bodies shall be for meat for the birds and the heavens of the beasts of the earth. And I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his princes into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their life, into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which has gone back from you. Behold, I will command the Jehovah and cause them to return to the city, they will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire. I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitants. Guess what? You don't get to change your mind. <laughs> you don't get to say, you know what, God? Yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and enslave those people. Yeah, I, I was better. You don't get to do that. Pharaoh tried that. What happened to him? His whole army, what happened to them? Well, they said, well, they changed their mind. If we let Israel free, we should have done that. What happened? Where their dead bodies end up? Bottom of the ocean. So Israel, where their dead bodies end up? At the end of a sword. So the point is, Israel, and in particular the nation of Judah, obviously, which Jeremiah is speaking to, they made an agreement. They would make the slavery not applicable, the slavery of their own brethren, that is, of Israelites, Hebrews in particular, are not applicable within their nation, within their people groups. So those individuals and their descendants have a legal obligation forever to never have a slave that is an Israelite brother. That was the agreement made in Jeremiah. So slavery was being ended 3,000 years ago, thereabouts, almost not quite 3,000, but close to it, was being wiped out and removed from Israel's, from, sorry, from Judah's lifestyle. Now you will know and find out in your own history books. You read it. I'm sure you all know this already. It's obvious. In our nation, we made an agreement to ban slavery in the former United States. So it is now the obligation of all people who followed that agreement to maintain it forever, regardless of where you or I happen to live, because we have made an agreement. It doesn't matter if I become a citizen of France. I still have to maintain the agreement that my ancestors made. It doesn't matter if I become a citizen of China. 
I have to maintain the agreement that my ancestors made because I am a representative of God and that agreement stands. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. It's important to note that when agreements are made, covenants are drawn, God holds us to them and is not a, well, we'll hold the covenant just for now and we'll just discard it later. God doesn't do that. So slavery was banned in our nation by agreement, by law, and we agreed to it, but a war over it, and obviously one side won, and that's how that was that was came about. So slavery was banned in our nation as a result, and other nations went through different processes to ban their own slavery in, in different forms. But if for some reason you find yourself in a nation that slavery is still done, still acceptable, still, still performed, you as a descendant or a follower or a, a, someone who came after the generations of the nation you live in, descended of, as agreement, this agreement stands, regardless whether you move to France or, 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 or Germany or, 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 or Texas or Mexico, wherever, slavery, you have an obligation to maintain its ban in your life and have the obligation to advocate for it. And I say that because when, when God points out in the form of a don't pervert word, don't keep your mouth shut, when you see someone lying, just follow the majority. You still have an obligation to try to advocate for what is right, what is God's way in the form of your own personal life, how you live it. So that's, that, is, that is an interesting way, interesting uh, legal mechanism that God put with inside his instructions of how you can not modify, not delete, not make annul any part of the Torah, but to make it not effective because it doesn't affect you directly. You will note that there are many laws that don't affect you directly. For example, there are laws regarding priests that don't actually affect us directly because none of us are priests. There are also various laws that affect women that don't affect men. So there are certain laws that don't apply to you. And now with this agreement, the laws regarding slavery of having or owning a slave would not apply to any of us anymore. But if for some reason we live in a country that does apply to it, we, because we need an agreement with our own nation to not have slaves, we must abide by our agreement that we made because our ancestors did so 100 and whatever, 150, 160 years ago, whatever it was. I lost track of the exact dates. <clears throat> so, anyway, let's move forward a bit. Because um, there's other topics we want to talk, discuss today uh, regarding a more important section. So uh, let's 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 really talk a little bit on this on this topics. You will know to mention earlier uh, there, the the Torah portion of Exodus twenty one through twenty four. These different sections also cover parts of the Ten Commandments. We have the killing section discussions as far as Isaac's hypothetical regarding the the the, the, the person who who who's premeditated and such. So if you or I are going to argue we are not going to commit murder, these the Torah portions discuss the different forms of murder. So, if we're premeditated murder, that equals a death penalty. Um, it is also important to know and pay attention to premeditated murders. You don't get to spare the murderer. So you would say, "Well, I forgive someone so who murdered my wife premeditatedly, or my son, or my or myself." You don't get that option. A premeditated murderer has to be executed. Now, an accidental murderer, an unintentional, that can be forgiven. But if you premeditate, the person has to die for it. Because you spill blood, you contaminate the land. If you don't clear or fix the contaminator, the murderer, the land remains contaminated. That's, we, we learned that later on in the Torah, I discussed that topic. So murderers have to be gotten rid of. You don't get the choice of saying, well, I don't feel like murdering this person anymore. It, it doesn't work that way. Now, we're not just saying people who actually kill people, which are actual premeditated murders. 
And it doesn't matter who the person was. They could be a king. They could be a high priest. It doesn't matter. A murderer, present murderer, the law is stands. Again, you don't get to show partiality because then you now a liar if you show partiality. So you have to this a murderer is a murderer. Now there's obviously different forms. Um, obviously, we discuss as as the cursing form that uh, that Rose brought up. Uh, the type of murder and cat killing an individual. Uh, we also have the attempted murder type, as far as we injuring somebody but didn't successfully kill them. All different categories of murder, but also forms of killing. And when you execute them, or when you cannot execute them. So there's sometimes which they are not permitted. If you kill a slave, uh, if, if if the slave die, you kill a slave, you are executed too. So you, the killer, you 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 murdered them because you beat them up and you killed them. So it says you're required to pay for, which means that, sorry, it's required. You said you'll be, uh, what's the right phrase? I think it was verse uh, 20. Uh, verse 20 said, uh, oh, so strikes his slave or his manservant with a rod, he shall die in his hand. He should be avenged, which means the, the person who did, the master who struck them, is executed for killing his slave. You will note in our own U.S. history and such other countries' histories, killing a slave was not a big deal. That is not permissible. That individual who killed the slave would have to be executed according to the word of God. Also, if you happen to injure the individual permanently, such as a tooth or an eye, the individual obviously is set free immediately without having to pay by their own freedom. So, striking somebody for causing injury, uh, there, there are rules about that and what you can and cannot do under those circumstances. If, if these laws were followed, American slavery would look exceptionally different than it actually did. Uh, it would not have been well, had, also the uh, fugitive slave law would have been you know, right, totally completely forbidden, too. forbidden exactly because you you cannot capture recapture someone, and if you you, you also cannot kidnap somebody. So you yeah, capture you kidnap them. Therefore, you were executed for kidnapping them, even if they're no longer in your position anymore. You yeah. you 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 kidnap them and you sold them because they were in possession at any moment in time. You are killed for doing so. Right. So it, it's a big deal. The fugitive slave laws thought to have uh, prolonged uh, southern slavery for 20, 30 years. I believe that. Yeah, I was discussing my son a few, a few months ago, a few weeks back, I can't remember exactly, discussing that you will, you will note that uh, slavery was obviously very prevalent in our own nation and many other nations too. But as time was progressing, you will noted that uh, uh, machinery, we call it Industrial Revolution, was slowly creeping its way in. Guess what happens in our modern day world today? How much work is done by hand and animals, but how much work is done by machines and form of farming community, agriculture community? Obviously, machines do gazillions of times more because machinery was already working its way in. Even if we discuss this topic hypothetically, even if slavery was not banned at the time, which was finding fought a war fought over it, over time, it likely would have banished itself anyway because it is far, far, far cheaper on a machine on diesel fuel that has to have a slave. <laughs> it's just beyond words cheaper. <laughs> Slaves cost money in the form of food and nothing else, housing. Uh, the machinery does a very good job of it. So time would have eventually phased out our culture slavery in our own nation anyway, even if the war wasn't fought over it. But Jeff's absolutely correct. The, 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 the extension of trying to preserve slavery was a serious flaw and the laws are being passed. It was, it was absurd because everybody, in particular the northern 
nations, those states, I think, already were moving toward an automated or more more industrialized way of life and way of living, which that had its own form of slavery and a different form of you know slave to the company. But it, it was moving that direction anyway, and so you could see the writing of the wall, so to speak. And the southern states obviously saw that as well. The writing was on the wall. Slavery is on its way out anyway. It's a matter of time, because time was going to make it obsolete, as is today, which we have industrialized revolution that took over. It has has all the machinery that has taken over. Even the animals are out, don't don't work as hard. I mean, how many of us use horses and such, to, or how many farmers use horses and such to do to their their farm work? Virtually nothing. So even they they have now just hung out for 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 people's personal enjoyment or dog food, different problem. Um, so slavery was probably in a way out anyway in our nation, but it it, it was prolonged unjustly uh, in the whole process. So if the Torah was observant, there's people who were observing the Torah at the time, and it's also important to note that all those American slaves, who many of them, if not all seems to gravitate toward and grasp hold of our Bibles and the instructions for God. Many of them were very, the, 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 the gospels, the, the gospel singing and such we do, that we have today, but the slave communities back in the early 1800s were actually very dominantly and focused upon the church or, or Christianity or the, the God of Jesus. Teaching that was their hope and strength. Now here's the problem. <laughs> And the one of the problems in the United States, once someone, a slave, chooses to follow the God of Israel, he is no longer, she's no longer a foreigner anymore. She's now, he's now your brother. You now fall into the category of Israelite freedom. So every seven years, you can set them all free. So it's interesting, prophet, it's like, you have your slave, but you just became a Christian, guess what? The most you can serve is seven more years at the most, and then you're out. You're free without having to pay for it. So if the laws were obeyed, which would be a, a world of difference in, in, in how our nation was built, I'm not saying good or right or wrong, just a world of difference in how it was built. It looks very, very different in our history, I'm sure. Um, and there'd be, slavery would be a, a not a very lucrative business by any stretch of the imagination, an utter waste of money. But anyway, and it wouldn't have, wouldn't have, not have perse- per- persevered because it's far more valuable to have a hired servant that keeps working for you for decades that you're paying, that's skilled and does a job really well, than it is to have to retrain somebody every seven years. Okay, new person, have to speak English, <laughs> all these details, too much work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but so you've been training it seven years go by, you train them after like three or four years, and then, then they're out of three years later, and then, then they're free. So slavery is not a very lucrative business. It wasn't designed to be. God didn't want it to be a lucrative business. Um, anyway, let's move forward though. <clears throat> I have the topic I want to talk, which is more important to me today. Uh, let's see here. We discussed the fact uh, as far as the different categories. So we have killing and murder, which obviously fall from verse 12 through 30, uh, discussing killing and murder from beasts as well. That includes, by the way, because you're not familiar with this, guys, girls, gals, friends, people. This includes dogs. So if your dog kills somebody, kills the animal, kills the person, you're killed. Yeah, assuming you knew about it. So trained pit bulls and trained dog killers that, 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 that decide to guard area and kill intruders, whatever, you don't get to do that. that. That's against the rules also. So you are liable for murder when you kill somebody. So yeah, that's, a, that's an inherent problem too. Uh, just be aware of that, not saying any of you have such things, but the point is that, that in, in, in those laws, these here, animals will be included in a murder category. Um, we have the sting of the ox, 
If you slaughter the ox or sheep, you have to pay five folds for the ox and four folds for the sheep. If the ox or sheep are still alive, you have to repay them plus a double. So you pay, you pay half again, or a double what it is. You return the, return the animal as well as give it a duplicate animal in place. We also include here, I love this part, verse 15 and 16, the thieving category. I like this section because it's important to note. Um, this is chapter 22. Where is 22? There it is. Um, you could just... If you, you, Thieving isn't just taking of an object. You can take something else to it just as bad. So, thieving, thou shalt not steal. Verse 15 of chapter 22 and 16 says, If a man shall seduce a virgin who is not betrothed and lie with her, he shall provide for her with a marriage contract as his wife. If her father refuses to give her to him, he shall weigh out silver according to the marriage contract of virgins. So, stealing somebody's heart is also stealing. <laughs> Seducing someone is stealing somebody. You're stealing, you're stealing their emotions. That is also stealing. You don't get to do that either. So not just stealing objects, but stealing people in the form of their emotions and their manipulation, manipulating them in that fashion is also not permitted. So uh, you, you do so, then you are, you are obviously she becomes your wife uh, or, or uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a heavy fine for it accordingly. So it, it, it's, it's, it's comical, but God paid attention to not only stealing objects, but also stealing people in the form of kidnapping them, but also as far as their emotions. We don't need to do that either. It's all a form of thieving and stealing, not permissible. Uh, we won't discuss much detail regarding uh, the lending of money. If somebody's poor, obviously you don't get to, uh, uh, you don't get to have the, uh, lend them with interest in our creditor. That is not to include businesses. So a business is not the same as a poor person. So a business may go to a bank or go to use handing to borrow money to buy this new piece of equipment uh, to continue my business growth. That is, that is an interest payment. You do pay interest that. That is not a person saying, I'm starving to death. I have no food and I have no clothing. And I'm going to be evicted. That's a poor person. Okay, that's not the same as somebody who's, who's advocating your business or growing your wealth. So growing your wealth, interest, yes. Poor person, interest, no. So don't, don't get them confused. That also, mind you, includes mortgages. Yeah, we all pay mortgage, right? If you have a mortgage. Um, yeah, uh, mortgage that you chose to buy the house you live in. You could have chosen to live in a tent, as many homeless people across the street do. Um, you could choose across the, the street, across the, 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 the river. Um, you can choose that, and that doesn't cost you anything. And <laughs> that's, that's, that's your decision. And our government makes it really easy to. Now I just ask them. Um, but the point is, so in the case of you choose to buy a house you can't afford, you go to a bank and get a loan, but guess what? You're paying a mortgage now. So yes, there is interest in that. You do get charged interest. You say, well, but I don't have a lot of money. Then buy a cheaper house. <laughs> That's how it works. Or rent. So, so you do get interest when, you, when they're luxury items such as housing, but not interest when you're poor and starvation. So don't get them confused about you know, when you get charged interest when you don't. They are distinctly different. Um, let's see here. The next thing we're going to cover a little bit before I go into um, a section of the, 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 the angel of God section. We have uh, verse 22 uh, of chapter uh, 20. Oh, 22. This is a really big deal, so I, I, won't, I can't stress this enough. The Hebrew here 
does duplicate words and they repeat the words three times as verse. So there are three words repeated three times a verse back to back. They want it means it's trying to accentuate the importantness of this verse. Verse twenty, uh, uh, verse twenty to twenty-two. You shall not taunt or press the stranger. Be restrained. Uh, if you were strange in the land of Egypt, you should not cause pain to any widow or orphan. Verse 22. If you, this is a duplicate verse, cause pain and cause pain, for, it, for if he shall cry out to me and cry out to me, I will hear, I will hear his outcry. So God's pointing out that causing pain to him, crying out to God, and God hearing are very important to God. So oppressing, causing problems for the widow or the orphan is a serious issue, or oppress the stranger. These are things which he will not tolerate. As a result, he will return and make your wives widows and your children orphans. Make them experience what you had no compassion toward. We have the, suppose, a golden rule, do to others you them doing to you, and that you would want someone to care for your wife, your widow, and your orphan children, right? Then why will you not care for them? You want someone to take care of you as a stranger, why will you not take care of someone else as a stranger? Truth and others you then do unto you. It's an important concept to not neglect and not, re- not, not negate. If you consider and read some of the minor prophets, in particular Amos and Hosea, this is extensively the neglect of the orphan and neglect of the fathers, neglect of the widow was a serious crime. And God pointed out, because you are doing this, I'm going to remove you and vomit. This land will vomit you out. I'm going to kick you out of this land because of how you were treating these poor people and oppressing them. That was the taunting of the stranger or causing pain to any widow or orphan. And as God pointed out, he uses double Hebrew words that were to cause pain, cause pain. So, for example, in English, we use exclamation marks to say something's being shouted. Well, in Hebrew, they didn't have exclamation marks. So what they did to accentuate something, they would duplicate, they would repeat the word. So in this case, this is, this is God essentially shouting at you, saying uh, in verse 22, you cause him pain. And so he yells again, you're causing him pain. And then he says, he cries out to me. He yells again, he cries out to me. And then God points out, I will hear, I will hear. So God is yelling at us to read through the text. He doesn't have exclamation marks. He's yelling at us, but saying, you're causing pain to the widow orphan, and you, they will cry out to me, the widow orphan will, or the stranger to, and, or, and he will hear them. So he's pointing out to us through his shouting at us, this is a big deal to me. We could use exclamation marks. We underline them. We have highlighters in our textbooks. But God doesn't use that in the form of, of Hebrew. They use it in the form of duplicate the word, make the word rewritten twice, copy it down twice. So it's yelling at you, saying how important this 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 statement is to God. Yeah, exactly. If you're asleep and not listening, wake up now, kind of thing. <laughs> God's shouting at you to wake up. So uh, that's an important thing to understand. So Amos rails on this exact topic. Hosea rails the exact topic that they were oppressing the widow, they were oppressing the poor, and God said, I'm going to make you and destroy you for how you are treating these individuals. 
And that's not what he did. He the, the, the women became widows and the children became orphans in the northern tribes of Israel and, of course, eventually the, the, the southern tribe as well. That was an enormous component in God's, how, how, what he accentuates, what's very vital to him. So it's a big deal. You cannot stress that enough, uh, how, how important that is, how you're taking care of those who are, how you treat those who are uh, widows and orphans. We'll jump to a more important section in a little bit, just briefly. You will note that, I'm going to skip you most of chapter 20, uh, 23, because, again, it's about, I'm not, not nothing wrong with it. It just discusses a lot about conquest of the land and, and, and rebelling and the people and such. But the Torah 23, uh, verse 20, we jump down to the Torah 23 of Exodus, verse 20. We get introduced to someone, a new person. It says, Behold, verse 20, I will send an angel before you to protect you on the way and to bring you to a place I have made ready. But be aware of him. Listen to his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not forgive your willful sins. For my name, because my name is within, within him. For if you hearken to his voice and carry out all that I speak, then I shall be an enemy to your enemies and persecute your persecutors. For my angel shall be before you and bring you the Amorites, Hittite, Perizzite, Canaanite, and Hivite, and the Jebusite. I will annihilate them. Do not prostrate yourself their gods, and worship them, do not, and do not act according to their practices, whether you shall tear them apart, you shall smash the pillars. You shall worship Yahweh, your God, and he shall bless your bread and your water and remove illness from your midst. So we're introduced to the angel of God, who's going to be before you, before Israel, Israel. But important characters or traits. Number one, you have to listen to him. He will not forgive your sins, your willful sins, because God's name is inside of him. So this particular angel has God's name, power with him, within him. And as a result, because of that, he cannot forgive your sins. It's an interesting concept. That's interesting because many well, well, Jesus, Yeshua, God was with him, but Jesus can forgive sins. That may be, and that's true. But this angel, no. Oh. This does not forgive sins. Pamela, your hand is up. Go ahead and unmute yourself. We can hear you again. I was going to say, I see that as the Messiah. My name is in him, Yah, right. Shua. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It is, and that's an interesting concept. So, and this, that, that, you're not the only one who's noticed that. Other people have, over the years have also commented, that, well, is this, is this an example of the spirit that will later become Messiah? Uh, Jeff, your hand is up. Go ahead. Uh, one of the problems with that interpretation is, is that it brings up a problem when it says it that you cannot forgive your sin. Exactly. <laughs> so, so basically, you know, what, what you're seeing here is that the, the commission that was given to this uh, Melachaya was to be the leader, but he was not given the commission to forgive sins. So this is kind of what you see a, um, expressed in the letter to Hebrews a lot, the call of a Homer, where you can see that the Mashiach, you know, if the, uh, the Melachaya um, could lead the people into the land. Well, how much more could the Mashiach lead the people into right. the rest? Thank you. Right. And that, so, yeah, you, so, so, just right. So, Pamela, you, you're right that people have asked the same question. Thought, well, is this, is this somehow, you know, the angel of God being able to be Messiah or something? And, 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 and that's, uh, it's a fair question. But we have to find out, okay, what is the nature of this individual? And it's just put out, what are their, their instructions? So we get to introduce this angel gets to talk to us, and we get to hear what he has to say, uh, because he's not mute. Uh, so we, we get to hear about him. He, he speaks to us 
in Joshua chapter 5 is our first really conversation we get to have with this particular angel of God, and we get to understand his nature and who he is. So in Joshua 5, verse 13, it records, it can't, this place is, uh, they're, they're in the process of, they just passed uh, the, the, the Jordan River into the land of Canaan. So verse 13, it says, It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, they lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Josh went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So, so he said to him, No, but as commander of the army of Jehovah, I have now come. Joshua fell upon his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? The commander of Jehovah's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot. The place you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. This is our first conversation we get to hear and ask, what is this guy, what, what, what is he? What is his spirit? What does he do? He points out in verse 13, says, when Joshua asked him, are you for us or our adversaries? His reply was, no. Meaning, I'm not for you, and I'm not for your adversaries. I'm not for either group. I'm not showing partiality. I'm not choosing Israel over the Canaanites. I'm not choosing Canaanites over Israel. I'm for neither side. I'm not supporting of you, nor am I against you. But rather, I am with God. I am the army of, of Yehovah. I mean, I am for God, not for you or against you. I'm not for the Canaanites or against the Canaanites. My job is to do what God commissioned me to do. So I am a, essentially, I am a killer. That's what I do. So where you stand is holy ground, but beware, I'm not your supporter. I'm not for you. I am here to do what God asks of me to do. And we have confirmation of that understanding in the book of Judges. So book of Judges chapter 2, we get, Judges chapter 2, we get to, we get to find out the same, he gets to have a second conversation with this angel. A reiteration and a better understanding of his commission, what God gave him to do. And so in chapter 2 of the book of Judges, just two, he discusses that in, in uh, verse uh, 1 through the first five verses, it says, Then the angel of Jehovah came from Gilgal to Bochim, which is a place of weeping. He said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to land of which I swore to your fathers, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. So was the angel of Jehovah spoke these words to all children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. They called the name of that place Bochim, which is weeping, and they sacrificed there to, to Jehovah. So now the angel points out that, hey, I wasn't for you to begin with. I wasn't against you either. I'm the one who did all this work and got you out of this mess, got you out through Egypt. I fought for you and got you here to this point, and look what you've done. You failed. You fell flat on your face because you quit. Now we learn from previous book of Judges, the people themselves, in the first chapter, so discusses the failures of all these various tribes to actually fail to do their job. So the angel of the Lord is, 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 is commissioned, Jeff points out, is commissioned or, or instructed to do a particular task. But that task is what he's given to do. 
and God's name is with him. So he's speaking and acting on behalf of God, not on behalf of the Israelites, not on behalf of the Canaanites, not on behalf of or against Egyptians. He's doing what God commands him to do. So it's good to understand that concept because in later chapter two of Judges, God himself gives the same message that the angel had just given. The Taylor chapter says the same thing that God is now giving through messages, messengers of the angel um, to do this. So the angel of God kind of, for the most part, disappears or vanishes off our conversation list. So we don't talk to him really again. He did his job and we failed our part. So now he's like, okay, I'm done. So I'll move on. Uh, I have other, other tasks to do. But I want to point out something very, very important to us in the judges that brought up with this angel of God. Verse 5 says, so the people's reaction when they realized that we fell flat on our faces and we failed to do the task we we're supposed to do, their reaction was they called them and they sacrificed there to Jehovah. When they gave offerings, well, that's great. That's wonderful. They're saying, we're sorry, God. We didn't mean to fail. So, so forgive us. This is a good thing, right? This is great. We really mean it. We're, we're having a heart-to-heart, God, really honest. Yeah, I'm being facetious and, and, and joking on purpose. Because God has instructions when it comes to sacrifices. Those of you who have read your Bibles will know there's a lot of, a lot of sections throughout the, throughout the Tanakh that discuss the topic of sacrificing and what good it does and how and when it becomes utterly worthless. So there's a grouping, a category of offerings, offerings that God appreciates and listens to, and often says there's no heart behind it. This is garbage. Go away. So we've run across these. We've run across before. Some people of our Christian brethren have even used them against us, arguing in some instances, which is kind of strange, but that's all right. This includes them too. Um, you will note, I'm not going through all these verses, but I'll go through a few examples. Um, Psalm 51 is a very common one. Psalm 51, verse 14 through 19. This is where King David is writing or wrote down that God respects, he's not respecter of the sacrificing offerings as he has a broken and contrite heart. So it's the inner being of the person that God's focusing his attention upon. What are you made of? So you're going to sit there and, and, and obey and supposedly follow this angel of the Lord, but reality is your heart is empty. There's nothing in it. I don't actually believe you. Isaiah to one discussed the exact same topic in a more harsh wording. Um, he points out Isaiah one, which we all read this before and have it read to us as arguments, which I don't care for. But that's because it's taken out of context. But jump down to verse ten of Isaiah one. I'll read this. It says, "Hear the word of Jehovah, you rulers of Sodom, and give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose multiply of your sacrifices to me?" Says Jehovah. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams, of fat of fed cattle. Did like the blood of bulls or lambs or goats? So pause there for a minute. So just because so essentially our Torah portion discussed, this is how examples, this is how you will live your life, this is how examples of how you will obey certain sections of the commandments. We're not covering all of them. We didn't cover adultery and that. We didn't cover other things. Um, how you obey certain sections of them and what is murder and thieving and such. And we say, okay, great, I'll do all these great things, but then I won't do half of them because I don't really care for doing that half. I like to do half of them here. It looks good. It's, it's all pretty. Good or whatever word. It looks better. <laughs> um, so it, I want this section to do instead. I'll ignore that section over there because it's not important to me, not relevant to me. But the laws of God don't change. You get to pick and choose which ones you feel like following today. So as God points out to the angel that's over before you, you don't get your willful sins. You say, well, I just don't want to do that, God. I'm done with it. I, I'm choosing not to. Don't. That's an oops. That's a serious mistake. 
And you go and say, well, I'll just say I'm sorry and offer a couple of goats. And we'll call it good. We're, we're, we have an understanding now, God, right? No, we don't. Now, this, this is interesting because I want to bring this up full circle back to uh, uh, Christianity again. Because it's going to hurt um, some persons, some, 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 some viewpoints, not all, but a few people's viewpoints on it. So, uh, see what in, in Isaiah uh, 10, uh, uh, sorry, verse 12 now. So Isaiah 1, verse 12. When you come appear before me, who, who has required these, these animals of your hand to trip my courts? Bring no futile sacrifices. Incense abomination to me, the new moons, the Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I can endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates, but they are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Either you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash your hands. Wake yourselves clean. Put away the evil ways of your doing for my eyes. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good things. Seek justice. Reprove the oppressor. Oh, defend the fathers, plead the widow. Which before the Torah portion accentuated the whole how you treat widows, how you treat orphans, how you treat the, the, the stranger. It's a big deal to God, right? Came on verse 18. Uh, now come now, let's reason together, says Yehovah. Though your sins are like scarlet, they should be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they should be as wool. If you are just willing and obedient, you, you shall eat the blood of the land, the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you should be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, uh, uh, how, uh, verse how the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteous laws in it. But now, there are murderers. Your slivers like dross, your wine mixed with water, your princes are rebellious, companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes, followers after rewards. They do not defend the fellas, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. So again, I mentioned before, it's very important to God, the fatherless, the widow, how you treat people. The righteous being a good example is very fundamental as far as the Ten Commandments and all Christianity and all Judaism follows these instructions, the best ability and understanding, uh, as far as how it's important to them. But what I want to bring this about to us as far as understanding is that uh, there's more to this, a lot more to this, which unfortunately affects some of us more thoroughly than others. But we have to understand there's, there's a grander scheme here being played out. When it discusses your sacrifices being worthless compared to your obedience to the actual instructions as far as justice and kindness and such, we learn later on in the book of Hosea that sacrifices have been, have, have, there's a physical sacrifice of an animal given and such, but there's a symbolic one given in the form of words. So sacrifices in Christianity today and Judaism today, we don't offer animals, we offer words. The words of our mouth are our offerings. Now, in, as Hosea 14 discusses this, as Hosea 14 says, oh, sorry, Hosea 14, not Isaiah. Hosea 14 says, O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take the words with you and return to Yahweh and say to him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. We'll offer our sacrifices of our lips. For you're using your words. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride our horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are gods. For in you the fatherless finds mercy. So now we understand that there's a definition given to us that sacrifices are animals, but they're also the words that come out of your mouth. Hence, it says, don't have blessings and curse come out of your mouth. <laughs> 
So the words from your mouth, those are your offerings. We discussed this many times in the past. But this has serious ramifications to Jewish and Christian believers. Well, Jewish, maybe not believers. They're all believers, believers in God, uh, as far as not the same Messiah, but God. So in Hebrews, discuss this exact topic as well, which comes full circle again in Matthew, as far as how much, how much and how important it is. So in Hebrews uh, chapter, was it uh, 13? Uh, it discusses this, this topic about, well, what are our sacrifice of our lips that we're offering? So these people in the, in the desert or, sorry, that, that didn't obey the angels of the Lord, there's stuff that they were supposed to do, and they offer their animals, and that didn't mean diddly squat. They offer their offerings, mean diddly squat. It's worthless. Why? Because they didn't obey. They didn't follow the instructions. So Hebrews 13, tacking on this process of, he was going jump all the way down to verse 14. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to our God, that is the offering, the sacrifice of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share for those with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Just pause there for a minute. So now we understand that we have in Christianity, the instruction we got from the apostolic writings, he was in particular, and Hosea, the, the, the prophet, is the words coming out of your mouth is the method which you will sacrifice or praise or offerings to God. Alarm bells, you're going off in your head. And then he's screaming out, he's like, wait a minute, we have a serious problem here. A serious problem. Because we just found out, we read in Judges, that sacrifices without the obedience was worthless. Because they just were supposed to follow the angel of the Lord, and they didn't. The angel said, sayonara, go away, I'm done. He said, well, we'll offer, we'll offer, we'll, we'll hear sacrifices. Bye, as he disappears. So, let's jump back to Christianity and Judaism too. So, we'll, we'll praise God. This is offerings, praise God, praise God, praise God. But you didn't obey. Oops, same identical problem with the angel of the Lord. So what does that mean? Same response. Bye. Get the, get the picture? So just because we replaced animals with words doesn't mean the instructions go away. It's an important concept because the Messiah said that in Matthew uh, chapter 7. Because this topic, he says quite clearly, with no uncertain terms, as far as I can tell, um, the same thing. Matthew 7 is the same thing, in jumping all the way down to verse 21 in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So doing the will, you're actually doing the things that God wanted you to do. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? He, and then I will declare, Jesus, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Bye. Because you didn't actually obey. So just because we replace the animal offerings with words, and now we sacrifice with words of, yay God, yay God, yay God, I'll keep saying praise, yay God, while I'm doing my mischievous stuff over here. Yay God, yay God, I'm going to ignore what God told me to do. Yea, God, yea, God, but I'm not going to do anything he's actually asking me and instructing me to do. But I still say, yea, God, yea, God. The yea, God part is worthless. 
It doesn't mean anything anymore. It's empty because you didn't follow it up with actual things that he instructed us to do. As Messiah said, you did. You practiced Torah. You you disobeyed the Torah. Go away. I never knew you. I I still don't know you. I'm not going to stand up for you. So we have to understand that the principle of obedience is outweighing the actual offering of fixing the screw-ups. It's like saying, God, I'm sorry, but not actually doing anything about the screw-ups. It's actually changing your way of life. Say, God, I, I, but I love you, God. Yeah, that may be true, but if you're, not, you're, not, you're not showing your love and actually doing as, as, as the, uh, the, the Apostle James or uh, Yaakov said to do. It's your, it's your actions that actually demonstrate the words coming out of your mouth are not a bunch of lies. Because if I say, yay God, yay God, yay God, but I'm just totally different, I am now lying. I'm not telling the truth. I'm distorting my God. I'm distorting the viewpoint of him. I'm taking his name and making it into mud. Because it's no longer meaningful. The words say stuff, but the actions don't. The actions don't follow up. So my words become lies. I'm lying in the name of God. He doesn't like that. <laughs> he doesn't appreciate that concept. He doesn't say, oh, good for you for lying in my name. Because you said, yay, God, why you did exactly the opposite of what I told you to do. So it's really important for us to understand as followers of God, followers of Messiah, that he has ways of life he wants us to follow. And we gave the commandments and the way of how we live in the, in, in the Torah. We just, we're discussing this topic, of course, quite thoroughly. That he says, expects to be done a particular way, the category of actions he expects to follow. That the offerings of words are saying, you know, yea, God, praise, offerings, sacrifice offerings, aren't actually of any meaning when they aren't followed with actual real action to go with it. Does that make sense? Hopefully it makes sense. So understand that, that, that that's a concept to this angel of God that he, that is going to go before them was a demonstration of this nature. So yeah, the angel of God has the power to do stuff. He's going to lead you through this the new territory and fight through all the great stuff. But again, he doesn't forgive your wicked, your willful sins, your willful love saying, yay God, why do something over, over here on the side that does, is not relevant, that's against his instructions. So it doesn't work. The actual actions is what he's weighing. The angel of God focuses on your actual actions, what you're doing, not what you intended or thought of doing, but you actually did. He points out in Judges, you didn't do it. You agreed to do it. You didn't do it. Therefore, I'm done with you. Roll away. So it's important to not, not neglect that concept. Um, let's see. We have... I'm out of time, but there's more to cover. So I, I won't go through much more than this. Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm out of time. So that, that, that's the rest of the stuff is, is somewhat de uh, detail-oriented in the form of... Uh, uh, most have argued that... Well, okay, we'll go to it, it's, it's, it's irrelevant to the topic. So there's, there's more in chapter 24, which we're not going to get into today because we're out of time. Uh, it has to do with uh, the nature of, of what was being, what was happening, the symbols behind the, 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 what Moses was doing, the six days he had to wait, uh, what, the, what, they, what the, the leadership actually saw versus what they didn't see when they saw God and ate and drank in front of him. And those are all, all uh, topics for the time of the day. We, we've discussed them in the past in our Torah portions, and they are recorded. So if you're interested in those details, we can find, find them for you. But we'll discuss them today because we're out of time. Any comments or questions on this Torah portion? For us, we covered the nature of what God is and what, how, how he wants us to live, and that, that all these supposed 613 commandments 
there are methods by which some of them become, can be not applied in the form of slavery. You can vote, you can make a decision, we're not going to allow slavery at all, and then that would make the slavery situation still exist, but not applicable to you or your nation or your nation or where you live. Or your household. You as a household choose not to slaves. Uh, that is perfectly acceptable as well. Um, and then, uh, obviously, we also have just the topics we discussed that, that all the rest of sections, or most of 20, 21, 22, and 23, discuss different sections regarding how to obey what are examples of the murder, what are examples of stealing, what are examples of how we treat the people, and, and, and how, to obey, how to obey those things, as well as Shabbat, the nature of Shabbat, and lands of rest and days of rest and that nature. And it comes around this Torah portion and how it applies to the Ten Commandments because the Torah is dominantly a focus and a zoom-in look at each of the commandments and what, what form they take and how you live them. Any comments? Yes, Rose, go ahead. I just want to say thank you, Daniel, and I love you. Uh, I love you too. Thank you. are welcome. Good, it was a very good teaching today. Thank you Praise so God. much. Praise God. Any comments or questions regarding this? Well, yes, just, just put on the, uh, the, 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 the chat box that there's a the Parashat 18, our, our past Torah portion sessions that we've covered by this topic. Is, it is, there's a lot of stuff in here, and there's a lot of stuff that's, that's useful um, as far as for you and how you're going to live what you're going to do. Are right, there other questions or comments? We're going to go into, or we're going to, we're going to conclude with a prayer then. <clears throat> Almighty God, a great Father, thank you for our Torah portion. Thank you for instructing us. Thank you for helping us along our way and our paths and helping us understand what is fair and just and trying to apply it, trying to follow, <laughs> try our best to follow, Father. May you help us to follow. May you help us to focus that not just our words, but also our actions matter to you. For you are a God where actions matter and actions count. So, Father, may, may our actions count for us and not against us. May we apply it the best we can. May you bless us, Father, with the rest of the time we have with, with each other you continue to instruct us in our homes, in our lives, the time we have on this earth. There's a, a life of goodness, a life of kindness, a life of love and compassion. We ask your blessing, Father, and glorify you in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O, halal dot info.